Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Dunkern podcast. This is Dunkern writer-in-residence Colin Hazard and this is the episode where I can finally, finally, finally confirm that the book is finished. Yes, indeed, it is finished and has been sent to the publisher, who are Dura Press, for their review and comments, and of course to make sure I haven't said anything libelous or scandalous, at least about anyone other than me. Uh, you might remember on the last podcast I said that I had the week extension to finish the book. Well, that actually turned into a two-week extension, so I didn't send it to them until Sunday night slash Monday morning this week. And the target I'd been aiming for for so long was 72 pages of poetry. Now that doesn't mean 72 poems because some of the longer poems go over two or three pages but I've had in my head this magic number of 72, 72, 72 for so long and two weeks ago I was sitting at 68 pages and I just could not make that breakthrough or make that decision on what those last four pages would or should be. Maybe I was staring at it for too long, maybe I was overthinking it but I had this complete mental block. And you might also remember from the last podcast how Laura from Lemoncello was talking about how she needs to get past the 60% mark of a project before she feels fully committed to it. Well, I worked it out that with the book, I was at 94.4%. It was just that final 5.6% that was causing the problems. And then just when I thought that all hope was lost and that I was never going to get there, I got an email from the artist who is designing the cover of the book. And you know when you're waiting for an email with something important, like it might be after a job interview, or if we've got any writers listening, then you get a reply to your writing submission. But then when the email comes through, you don't even want to open it in case it's bad news, or in this case, just some awful design. But I had absolutely nothing to worry about because it is top class. It's colorful, eye-catching, contemporary, but also a little bit retro and I'm very proud to be able to put my name on it. I should say that the artist is called Truona Walsh, and she's based in Dublin. You can look her up on Instagram, T-R-I-O-N-A Walsh, all one word, and see some of her latest artwork. And there's also a link on Instagram to her website, which has just been recently updated. My book cover isn't on there yet. I'm not even sure when we're allowed to unveil it, but I am just really excited for you to see it, and Truona definitely went over and beyond for me. But the point that I wanted to get to was that in receiving the cover design, it just gave me that final kick up the derriere that I needed to get the book over the line. So while there's an element, actually a huge element of relief to get it done, I'm now just excited to, to see the whole thing come together and to have the book out there for people to hold and to cast judgment on. But sticking with poetry and in more general Dunkern news, Next Tuesday night, the 23rd, I will be hosting the first session of a new poetry writing course which is being run by the Dunkern. If you were one of the lucky ones who managed to get on the course, well done, as I believe that all of the new creative courses sold out in less than 40 minutes. And that includes courses in printmaking, textiles, illustration, jewellery making and much more. If you missed out this time around, make sure you're following the Dunkern on social media to keep up with all the announcements and courses and events and all the other stuff what we do. I should point out that I am only hosting the poetry course, although I noticed that my course starts the same day as the weaving and embroidery. So I have got a needle and thread here ready just in case there are any technological malfunctions and I need to wing a two hour workshop. Thread the needle class, thread the needle. 
But moving on now to this episode's guest, who I was delighted to chat to last Saturday as the snow fell outside both of our windows. The guest is a poet, an artist and a lecturer called Amy Louise Wyatt. Amy is from Bangor County Down and her work is widely published in Irish and international journals and anthologies. She was shortlisted for the Seamus Heaney Award in both 2018 and 2020. She was shortlisted for the Dempsey and Windle National Poetry Day competition in 2019, was a finalist in the National Funeral Service Poetry Competition in 2017 and was nominated for the 2019 Best of the Net. She's performed widely at festivals or even she's performed widely and widely at festivals throughout Ireland on BBC Arts Extra and for local television. She is the founding editor of the Bangor Literary Journal and has recently released her debut poetry pamphlet through Indigo Dreams, which is called A Language I Understand. That's quite an impressive creative CV, but I let Amy tell you about all that and more as I pass over now to the effervescent and dashing host of the Duncurn podcast, Colin Hazard. Colin, do you read me? Over. Repeat. Colin, do you read me? Over. So thank you, Colin, for that lovely handover. And I am here joined on the line by the poet, artist and lecturer, Amy Louise Wyatt. Hello and welcome to the Duncurn podcast. Hi, Colin. Lovely to be here. Where do we find you today? Um, sitting in my son's bedroom because it's the only quiet place in my house. Well, I'm sure it's the perfect place for a podcast chat. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm currently sitting on top of quite a lot of um, stuffed toys underneath the duvet. Mm-hmm. There must be at least maybe about 30 of them here. Sounds like you're, you're the most comfortable guest then that we've had, I, I had on so far. I must <laughs> uh, and I should say it is Saturday the 13th of February when we were recording this and today is the day that the snow came. So much snow over your way. The, there is. Well I'm in Bangor and um, it sort of started um, this morning but it, it's really um, gathered now. But the cat's enjoying it. The cat was out in it. Um, first snow I think so it seemed to be a bit of a novel day. I've, I've actually been minding my cousin's dog recently because she's a, a nurse at the Royal A&E uh-huh. uh, and the dog actually just went back this this Thursday or just past Thursday and uh, I'm delighted about it because I didn't really want to go <laughs> for a walk in the snow. <laughs> uh, but thank you for joining me and the reason I wanted to get you on was of course to talk about your pamphlet, your poetry pamphlet which is coming out very soon um, but before we get on to that I want to go way back to the start uh, and ask you just really what inspired you to get into writing or is this something you've done from childhood? Yeah, I know sometimes Colin, I kind of try to think back, but my mum does say that I was writing poetry when I was very young. Art used to be the thing that I was very drawn to when I was younger, but creative writing sort of used to be secondary. But as I got older, it sort of died. And then I had this fabulous, GCSE English teacher, Mrs. Neville, who really sort of inspired me with everything literature-based, I would say. And I, I think the more that I became engrossed again with, with reading, um, the more that I sort of then was inspired to write. And probably that was a bit unfortunate because by the time I got the A-level, um, I was just sitting in the classroom writing, ignoring the teacher completely and just writing the most ridiculous poems with my mates that, that we must have been very innocent you know um and those days I think most people were out drinking and stuff that age but yeah it kind of um then died a little bit again but then when I went to um to Queen's I joined the creative writing group there the Queen's writing group 
um, did a bit of creative writing um, under Maeve Griffin there when, when I was at Queen's. And then it died a little bit again and then came back. So it, it, it kind of submerged and reappeared throughout the years, to be perfectly honest. Were you studying English at Queen's? I was initially meant to be studying full English. And, and when I got to Queen's, within about six months, I had changed to minor English and major social anthropology because I was absolutely so fascinated with all of the, the kind of different religions and, and pilgrimage sites and, and things like that. So I always had my English in the background while I was studying studying the other things as well. Okay, that's interesting because uh, I know one of the poems that you're going to read today directly references um, God and religious themes. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's quite a heavy start there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll come to that. Uh, so then, like, what what was it that like drew you into poetry? Like, why did you decide? What were you trying to express? You know, that made you put pen to paper as such? It's sort of hard to put that in the words, I suppose. But do, do you know, sometimes, and um, like, obviously, Colin, you're you're a creative person in many different ways as well. So you've probably got that that thing that you can't really explain, but you need to get it out mm. and maybe make a connection with people in, in some some ways. And I, I think that when you when you kind of are that creative type of person, it, it just comes out and you, you can't help it. And I suppose then if you have the creativity, it's all about sort of like honing the craft really then after that, isn't it? And uh, to work to make it the, the best you can. Definitely. And would you have kept, like I have, um, all those poems from those younger years, from your teenage years? Yes. And that, do you know what? The the reemerged actually quite shockingly. Um, my, my granny's house, I would have stayed with her every weekend. Um, she's actually in a nursing home at the minute, but her, her wee house is up for sale. And um, in one of the boxes that came from her house when it was being um, cleared out was files of all the old poems which were let's just say you you wouldn't you wouldn't really want to read them put it that way the naivety of of your of your youth you know yeah i know exactly what you mean um the last time i was back at my parents house in banbridge i, I found on the computer all the old poems that i'd written when i was 16 17 and there was tons of it <laughs> and it's really angsty yeah and I had really big grand just cliches and statements about things yeah. that I knew nothing about really at all. Yeah, I know, but I think you have to fight your way through those cliches before you sort of get your own, you know, your own way of saying it. I don't think I've moved on too far, to be honest. Oh, stop it. <laughs> well, as you say, it's, just, it's always about trying to get better and trying to hone the craft and to learn. And I know you, you have grown up in a creative household then as well. I know your, your mother is an artist, a visual artist. Yeah, my mum is a, a painter and printmaker, Alice Wyatt. She, um, that was probably obviously where I got my, my love from art, but but she would have been a very um, avid reader as well. So um, probably that was quite inspirational when I when I was growing up. I was always surrounded by expression in, in a way, you know, mm. um, I suppose that does impact on you. What do you like with the brush? I, I, used to really love painting i now do a lot of kind of like pen and wash drawing and you know sometimes i, I think that's maybe out of a little bit of because my, my time seems so precious these days that you only get like especially when you've had you only like these short um snapshots of time to, to to do art so um 
funny you mentioned time because like i mean i have no kids i find it difficult to find the time to write and create whereas you like for example last year on top of trying to write poems and find that space to be creative you were not only a mother and doing homeschooling you were also teaching yourself as well yeah the the, the teaching um as i might have mentioned to you earlier um, before we came on it has taken obviously um a, a different platform but it's funny how actually quickly you become accustomed to, to moving from real life to a virtual kind of sphere you so i, I teach a level so my, my students are all um teenagers or or on, on the edge of adulthood um and i say on the edge and it, it kind of can be quite challenging because you can you can imagine at that age when somebody's asking you a question in real life it's bad enough but when somebody's asking you a question and you have to unmute yourself to answer it that's a different kettle of fish yeah it's been difficult i mean it, it has been great to have the technology and to be able to connect virtually as of course we're even doing now yeah but it's been just i'm not one who enjoys writing in a virtual world or listening even listening to poems in a virtual world i'm not a big fan of kind of online events yeah but it is what it is and we have to make do you know there's, there's bigger problems going on in the world obviously but Colin, you're so like I've been to lots of your performances, and you you really have that engagement though with your audience when when you're there, and I I think that that's probably something that is different when you're when you're online and it, it sort of moves, doesn't it? Changes. It definitely does. But I mean, clearly there's the the kind of physical aspect where you can't move around a stage as such. You can move around a screen, I guess, but you're limited, yeah. and uh, you don't have that direct and face to face interaction. And to be able to connect with people yeah. or people can you know, shout things out at a, at a performance and just enjoy the whole buzz of the night as well because that gives you a lift too it does and the banter the good, the good banter and a few drinks usually you know at those events yeah well that's the i mean the last time i saw you i think was the open house festival in bangor which was 2019. yeah that's hard to believe isn't it it is and you know those were those were great nights that were put on in the bar that's called What's it called? Fealty. Fealties, yeah. Fealties. Yeah. Uh, in the back bar in there, which is brilliant, brilliant place for poetry or music, or whatever. I know they, they do. I was going to say they do, but they, they used do to everything do everything. Yeah. They used to do. But yeah, how? I mean, how was twenty twenty in terms of your creativity? The creativity levels um ha, have been up and down, and um, I'm currently doing my masters with Open University in creative writing, and I'm, I'm focusing on poetry. So last year. Even though it is all, it is online, it, it kind of um, was sort of bobbing along as normal, and then the pandemic hit, and the year kind of got had a wee bit short for us last year. But I suppose that the good thing is that even now we're progressing to this year, and I'm working still on that. There is a sort of like online community with the university, which is really really nice with the tutorials and forums and things like that. Mm. So in in that sense of what I've been working on that probably hasn't changed that much but certainly the the things like my, my wee boy's going to be 10 at the end of the month and um homeschooling certainly been been fun while while you're working and, and doing other things so yeah it's been challenging but then as you said there's there's people that have been going through goodness knows mm. um and i suppose these things you do adapt you do get through them for that that MA in creative writing, like what type of things do you learn on that? Is it is it 
just po- I mean, it's not just poetry. I'm assuming. Well, when you join join it, basically you can focus in on your primary genre. So I choose chose poetry, and um, last year my secondary genre was creative nonfiction. Um, but because I'm not really a prose writer, I have to admit that I find the real challenge of that was the extended sort of attention that that needed to be given to something that was sort of prolonged over a series of pages. So it was very good in showing me maybe areas that I could really develop and try to try to work on for, for myself. But no, it's a, it's a really, like I would recommend it, um, Open University are brilliant. Um, and the kind of ability to work around your job and things like that is it's fabulous too. Mm. Uh, well, that's one thing I've definitely missed over the past 12 months or so is just physical workshops going in and yes yeah and being put under that pressure to write oh I, I are you the same as me i really i need somebody to tell me to do that do that amy do that here's a task yeah definitely i mean i've said before on different podcasts just how how much i need a deadline but there's no better deadline than right you've got 20 minutes to write a poem in a workshop yeah <laughs> and you've got like, yeah all your peers sitting around waiting for you know, for you to obviously read your work then at the end of it so <laughs> Good. A, a little bit of pressure is always a good thing, I think. It definitely is. It definitely is. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that I've, I've said I've missed is the workshops, but also events. And we talked about the Open House Festival. And I know that you would have regularly put on events with the, the Bangor Literary Journal. You just want to tell us a wee bit about the journal? Yeah. The great work you're doing um, over there in Bangor. Definitely. So the journal's been running for just over two years now. Um, we're actually on issue 14 will be coming out um be the next one sort of end of march and we usually um in bangor would invite everybody their granny their extended family everybody down to bangor and and they used to come to our, our studios usually um on Grace Hiller we art studios blackberry path and you know would have a drink and some food and people would get up to read and it's really lovely community spirit um, and we also obviously then had events in places like Fieldies and, and things like that too. Open House Festival, Aspects Festival, you know, and try to engage with all of those kind of local platforms. And what was lovely was we used to have people coming from Canada. Um, we used to have people coming over from England and Scotland and Wales um, to come and read. And, and it was fabulous. The di- only different thing that's really changed now, as you can imagine, is the, the launches for those um, journals have now gone online. Mm. Um, but in some ways, you know, it's maybe opened it up to a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have been able to physically travel in the past. So if we're asking them to read, they can do that and send the video in of, of, of them reading. So in some ways, it's been advantageous. In other ways, you, you miss you do miss the the real interaction. Yeah, and I mean the events over there at, in the Blackberry Path Studio are always so well attended. And may I say, you always put on a lovely spread too on the ground. Uh, yes, but Paul, one of my favourite ones was when you you came and you were our featured poet, and it was, you had everybody in the palm of your hands. It was brilliant. Um, I think you even turned some people who were not poetry fans. I have to admit, you know, who would have said, "Oh, I'm not really into poetry," and afterwards we said. I didn't know poetry could be like that, you know, and and I just thought that was great. Oh, well, that's, you're very kind. That's lovely to hear. Uh, although I think the last time I read 
in the studio was uh, was the only time I've ever worn shorts on stage, and I believe some of the audience <laughs> are still recovering from it. So you know, it's up and down. Well, you know, sometimes you have to do these things. And then, I mean, your your mother as well exhibits a lot of her work yeah. in, in the Blackberry Path uh, studio. Um, do you take in work from other artists too, and you showcase those? We, we do, usually during Aspects Festival, we would have had a, um, a sort of like open exhibition of local work alongside the, the poems that would have hanged for the, for the Bangor Poetry competition. Um, and that was really upsetting that this year this just couldn't happen. Usually we would hang our own work, but then sometimes we would have those sort of special, special events as well, which is always lovely to, to bring that community together as well. I'm just thinking, just out of interest, when you put out like a submission call in yeah. the journal, how many kind of entries do you receive on average? I think the lowest we've probably had on was, I'm trying to think when it was, it was a funny time of the year, it was first, I can't even remember if it was like a wee special magazine, it was I think 140 something, but we've had over 500 entries on, on some occasions and that's maybe just for the one issue. And it's not always that, I would say the average would be about 350 probably but you're probably reading that and then Paul and myself we both read those so they're all read twice mm -hmm. before making and they're all read anonymously so we'll have a system where you know the, the stuff comes in and there's, there's no names no uh, traceable um, identity on the pieces so they're all read blind and we do read everything twice so it can be quite a feat but it's it's a very enjoyable thing to do. If you can get past the hard work of it, it's really rewarding. And it's rewarding when you see what a difference it makes to people's literary gateways, in a, in a sense, if you know what I mean. It gives them that opportunity. Sure, I know. I mean, it's brilliant to, to do that, um, to put that time and energy and effort into putting the, or reading through everything and putting the, the journal yeah. together and doing events as you did yeah. so regularly as well. Uh, so it's been a pleasure to be a part of it and um, I'm glad that Paul was involved too. Keeps him busy. Oh yes, oh uh, yeah, look, he, he's always sitting there with his glass of wine. It's any excuse. <laughs> I think he would read 2,000 entries as long as he got a glass of wine every so often. Yeah, well, I should say, I don't think we've introduced him yet. This is your husband, Paul. Uh, uh, this, this is Paul Daniel Rafferty. Uh, you may know him from Facebook, he's never off it. He's usually on Twitter as well, tagging me whenever Manchester United. Oh, wait, oh I, yes he is. He's just generally never off social media. I think that, that's the, the point we're making. But yet, I mean, you've talked about there about putting the poems together for the, the Bangor Literary Journal. Do you, this is, this might not even make it into the podcast. This is just for my own interest. Yep. Do you ever have any, whenever you send like rejection emails? Yes. Any bad reactions to those over the years? Yes. Yeah. Really? Well, like naming names, of course. No, like not the, not, not in the, um, you know, most people are absolutely fine. And I mean, I always try to send a nice rejection um, email like because I know how that feels when you get one. But um, yeah, we've had a few. I've had a few, do you not know who I am? Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've ever been rejected for anything in my life. And this is only a small <laughs> journal and I have been published, you know, this type of thing. Um, doesn't happen that often, but it probably maybe would happen maybe two out of the three and maybe the odd maybe just one one person each time but yeah there's definitely some egos out there 
Yeah, well, I'm, um, sorry. I'm sorry about those emails. I mean, I was having a bad day. Oh, <laughs> is, this, is this you and all your guises? You know, they're having, to, to be fair now, that some have been a bit of a source of like, what the, but other ones have been a, a full-on source of entertainment because you, you just wonder what goes through people's heads. Like, you really do. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some things on Twitter from different um, publishers and journals, etc. over the course of the years, and you see some of the responses that they get back, and it's just brutal. Oh, it's wild. Mm. I keep having to try and restrain myself from ever saying anything about them or, or giving them even any attention. But, um, yeah. But then I suppose you need all sorts of people to make up the literary world, don't you? You do, all shapes and sizes, as they say. But anyway, in more in more positive terms, uh, you have had poems accepted recently and they've been compiled into a pamphlet. Yes, so um, my, uh, well, my, my debut pamphlet is with Indigo Dreams and it's called A Language I Understand, which is actually one of the poems, one of the titles of the poems that I, I used as the um, kind of title of the, the book itself. And that I understand from the synopsis of the book or the pamphlet I should say sorry um, that it seeks to understand the relationships that the poet i.e you and all of us have with our past our memories our loved ones and how we can make sense of this yeah it, it was funny Colin because you see when you're reading that and you see when I I wrote that it wasn't obviously until after um the poems were kind of put together that I realized that there was a common thread because you know, one of the things I think particularly about poetry is sometimes you can write the, the particular poems in isolation mm. um, without, without seeing the possible connection or the kind of maybe train of thought or maybe the, the subconscious sort of elements that are maybe coming out. So yeah, it turned out afterwards I realised that the, the poetry that I have been writing, it sounds a bit grim, but I was going to say a lot of it is about dead people. Um, but I don't even mean that in a, in a depressing way. I mean, in the sense that I obviously have carried those people or carry them with me still. And a lot of the other poems are about my mum, Owen, my, my son. I think Paul's found his way possibly in there in, in one or two um, brief mentions. And then I found a lot of connections with my granny, who I mentioned we were clearing out her, her house. She has Alzheimer's. So there's some poetry there about her and then some about my stepdad, my other granny and my granda who have passed away. And then some in there about my own sort of connections with things outside of that. Yeah, one of the, one of the standout poems that I read on the subject of death um, from the, the pamphlet was Opening to the Light. Oh, yes. Do you know what? That was actually written, ironically, we were talking about Fieldies and the Open House Festival. That poem I wrote about a week before one of the Open House Festival nights, and my wee cat that's mentioned in it actually passed away that, that morning that we were hosting that event. And I remember reading that, but I kind of cried my way through it too perfectly, honest. But uh, unfortunately now, I'm no longer 37. I'm 39 now. But, but yeah, that, that poem is, is not so much, is about death, also mentions gin, um, which is still a firm favourite, but kind of this idea that sort of you have to kind of keep moving through it. 
through things towards, I suppose, towards the lighter, um, kind of avoiding maybe being stuck in sad memories or grief, possibly. Yeah, if you're going through hell, keep going, as the old saying goes. Keep, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And I believe that you are going to read the poem that gives the pamphlet its title. I am indeed. So <clears throat> this, this poem, as, as you've mentioned before, poem, a, a lot of the poems make reference to um, religion or to God. I actually am an RE teacher, so that, that is why there's there's probably a lot of references, because a lot of my, my daily life is, is absorbed in probably philosophy and ethics. So this poem is called A Language I Understand, and it's basically about the days after church um, um, the things that we used to do after we left church, it was myself and my, my granny and granda, and I was brought up Church of Ireland, so, so it, was, it was after after those, those church services. So it's called A Language I Understand. On the Lord's Day, we ate ice cream after we went in peace. The Sabbath was vanilla pod and tendrils of both sun like sugar from the glasses stained in temples of our God's almighty cliché. The pews were hard, the comb was soft, maybe built with brimstone, maybe left in the air too long. It's hard to know in a world of inside out. With Holy Spirit raised on tongues in a language only he will understand, the rest of us are vessels open to the respite of a day that will be tinged with guilt because we cannot rest. Maybe only God can rest in peace for making milky ways and twirls and those who feel both love and guilt deserves a break. Quite often now, I go to pieces on the Sabbath day, the dam of Septico about to burst to spill my fears into a newborn wake. Take me back to worship my vanilla god, pushed inside the hollow of a comb, raised in a language I understand, spoken with a cold and holy tongue. Beautiful, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah, and you mentioned how you're an RE teacher and obviously the poems very much focused on church and, and your relationship with God. Are you a, a religious person or a spiritual person? I would describe myself very much as a, a spiritual person. I mean, I spent my whole life growing up in the, the church of Ireland. And I, I do, I, I would actually, sometimes I would actually go to the, the Abbey now and again. I would take Owen, Owen there. Um, we have a funny situation because we have a sort of mixed marriage. Paul would be Catholic, I, I would be Protestant. Owen goes to a Catholic school. So it's, it's a kind of a, a funny wonder, I suppose, when it comes to that. But yeah, I, I, I would hold quite close a lot of the, the teachings and messages that I, I was brought up with. But I don't think I would sort of corner myself into any particular denomination or anything like that anymore now. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's something that the, the idea, the concept of religion is something that I like to read about and like to explore. And I've done a little bit of that in my own book that's coming out later this year, which I've mentioned once or twice yeah. on the podcast. Regular listeners will be probably. I can't wait for it, Colin. Really looking forward to it. 
I can't wait to get it away, get it done, get it out there. Um, I know it gets that, doesn't it get to that, that point where you you sort of think this is all, this is all I can give now? Yeah, it does. And you go, I never want to write or read another poem ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but on that very subject, your pamphlet I know is available now. Uh, but this podcast will be going out on Thursday the 18th and then you yeah. have a, a special online event that, yes. that following weekend so uh, can yeah. you tell us a wee bit about that? I will indeed so A Language You Understand um, is available from my own author website so you can get a signed, a signed copy and a nice little bookmark funny enough we were talking about my granny um, I wanted to add a little bit of, of something and when I was sending these out to people so um, when you get the bookmark, it's a little bit of my art, but the little hole punch at the bottom is from my granny's hole punch that she used to keep in the town hall in Bangor. Um, she probably nicked it when she retired, but anyway, by that point. And the thread in the bottom of the little bookmarks were actually my great aunt Dela's. She, she lived to uh, 103. She was a, a seamstress. She was a spinster, spinster seamstress. So I've tried to um, put a little bit of everybody into it. So you can, you can get the books from my author website, just Amy Louise Wyatt, or you can get them direct from Indigo Dreams as well. Um, and to launch the book, that will be this Sunday. So that'll be Sunday the, the 21st of February. And it's from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. It's a wee quick one. So nobody nobody could be bored by that because it's on just a little <laughs> half an hour, half an hour slot. It's free and you can get the, the tickets either on my, my website or you can just go on the Eventbrite um, and look for language I understand. Um, and it's just going to be hosted on, on Zoom. I have to say, I'm a bit nervous. I can feel the nerves creeping in a little bit, but I think they're like excitement and nerves at the same time. Mm. But now, no, it'll be grand. It'll be all right on the night and it's a lovely way you know, for half an hour just to round off the week and chase the Sunday night blues. Exactly. Sunday night. Well, we do we quite often do things on Sunday nights and we do, you know, the I think it's a nice time because sometimes people have that that Monday stress feeling on the Sunday night. It's quite nice to get that distraction from that as well. Yeah. I think. Definitely. And I'm sure uh, in the audience, the online audience, I'm sure there'll be more than a few members of Women Allowed that you're a member of. Oh yes. Um yes, definitely. So I've been a member of Women Allowed for a good few few years now um, and it's just such a fantastic organisation to be to be part of. Um, I think what's really good about Women Allowed and I is the fact that you know everybody's there to support everybody else um, and really sort of raise the profile of female writers in Northern Ireland and it's nice because we have such a mix. There's There's women writers from all genres, all fields, and all kind of levels in the writing career um, as well. We actually are hosting a International um, Women's Day week of events um, with Women Lloyd, so, so they should be um, available soon. And they're, I know the Bangor Literary Journal will be um, showcasing 12 women's, women writers work um, as part of that as well. So really excited. And I know that the Women Allowed and I are, are very proactive in organising events and different workshops yeah. and all sorts of things. And they're, they're, they're brilliant. And recently there was, um, I don't know if anybody has come across it yet. If you haven't, it's definitely worth getting your hands on one. Um, North Star was our anthology that was released there 
um, last year and got a whole variety of work related to Northern Ireland and the different areas in Northern Ireland. So there's a wee plug for that if, if anybody's looking for something to read. And you can get it on Amazon. I think, no, I'll, I'll buy possibly um, um, The Secret Bookshelf and Tark Fergus as well. And as well as, you know, the, the great writing that women in Northern Ireland are doing at the minute, would you have any advice, not just for, for female writers, but any young writers or aspiring writers who are coming up who maybe think about getting into poetry or creative writing of some sort? Of... Yeah, I, I think what, what's really important is to get yourself along, like Colin, you were saying about workshops and, and missing them. And I, I'm that type of person as well. I, I think a, a workshop can really kind of not only give you new ideas, but sometimes sort of help you be a better writer because in workshops and things like that you're going to get feedback from from your peers and um, and maybe even the, the the tutor and there's loads of great workshops like Maura Donaldson runs some fabulous ones as well and I know like Cap have ran some coming up to the the Shemotini Award and stuff like that which are always really really good to go to I think also get yourself um even if you don't want to go down the workshop route, get yourself a couple of good writer friends who you can trust that can maybe give you some feedback on your work before you send it out into the world. Because sometimes, and I know early on, my impulse was in my excitement to have written something to maybe send it off too soon without letting it sit for a while before either letting it kind of distill or to go back to it with fresh eyes after a week or two. And then it goes off and it just comes back. So I do think that really getting the work checked and stuff, even before you send it off to journals or anthologies, or sometimes even if you're at an open mic event, you could try out a new piece and see what the reaction is to it there. But I think I think just getting involved and getting a good a good network of supportive and honest literary folk around you is a good plan for anybody starting out. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I, I know I can speak personally when I say that poetry can be a lonely business at times. Oh, can. But to have you know the likes of the events and the workshops and just to, to have, even like I was on this morning with on, on, a, on a creative writing workshop and it was just great to share ideas and to have that pressure again to write and to hear other people's ideas and bounce off each other. Exactly. And I think too, it kind of encourages you because if you get any knockbacks or anything, you soon find out that everybody else is having the same knockbacks as you. You know the same rejections the same disappointments and i think it's just about sort of moving on you know from any of those and learning from them as well yeah well that's it that's that's one thing i find very ironic who are writers and poets in particular are quite sensitive people but the, we have to do oh, so yeah. much rejection that's so uh, look this journey is littered with rejection you know it's like a swamp and you're just looking for the stepping stones basically yeah develop a thick skin is probably the best uh, advice we can give exactly. <laughs> Well, I believe you've got one more poem to read for us. Yes, I do. Um, this poem is about actually my son and my relationship with my son Owen. Before lockdown, he used to go, we got him into um, martial arts and he, he was working his, his way through, you know, his wee belts and things like that. Um, and obviously we, we would take him there and it was it's all about trying to sort of learn him a bit of focus and discipline and things like that um so so this is this is what it what this poem's about but it's not really what it's about so it's called martial arts i bring him here to learn discipline as we arrive late 
Shoes kicked off. Mad dash to the mats. I hope this pays off for him. Hope he isn't me. Five, maybe fifteen. Giggly, full of nerves. Unable to concentrate in class. Boiling in a jumper, pulling at a tight top button shirt. Hoping the day away until we do something I enjoy. But he is not me. It is the numbers in him that come alive when they are multiplied, subtracted, divided. It is the logic of finding answers that we know. For me, these things made me fidget, wiggle, fudge up. But my mind steadied at the colours licked up by the tip of a brush. The way a line didn't have to hold its content. The very fact I never knew the outcome. Take the child out of me. Not much has changed. I am undisciplined, virtually late, horrified by order. But chaos and logic are mother and son. It's another lovely poem. So nice to, to hear you talk so so poetically about the that relationship. Yeah, it's 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 funny because um, Owen would be. A very mathematical, ICT, um, sort of logical thinker. I mean, he is creative as well, but but I never had the mind for that. My my mind was never mathematical. I don't know how I passed any of those subjects. But it, it's just funny, actually, as he's grown a bit older, you realise that those things aren't so different. They're just other ends of the, the same spectrum, you know, and I think he's maybe inheriting a few more of the things that I hope they wouldn't off myself. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, that's that's what happens when you have a child and you bring them up, you know. Uh, and there, there are actually quite a lot of similarities between like martial arts, as you mentioned, the discipline and, and poetry, yeah. or any kind of um, creative writing pursuit. Uh, and I speak as someone who got his yellow belt in kickboxing a few years ago. Oh! Oh, very good, Colin. Yeah, so be careful. These hands are killing machines. A, a hero, <laughs> not mess up, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got my yellow belt and I decided that kickboxing wasn't for me. But uh, it, it, it's the same thing. It's 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 dedication, it's time, it's craft. It is. It, it, it is. Uh, really, I think it's probably our society that divides everything up so much, you know, in the curriculum and things like that. And kind of this idea that science is different, arts and maths is different, the poetry and things like that, but, but actually they really probably all have the same formula. Yeah, there's a lot of theory behind it and that's one thing I've, I've probably spent the last maybe 12 months or so is going over is trying to learn a bit more about the forms and techniques of poetry. Yeah. And the more you find out, the less you know. Oh, oh totally. It's, it's just a well, isn't it, that you just keep falling into? Yeah, I could I could talk. That's, that's a totally different podcast altogether. <laughs> I, could, I could do that. But, um, yeah, um, so I know you give out your website address there when you were mentioning the pamphlet. Uh, do you want to give out any social media links that you have? Yeah, well, if, if you're on social media, um, you can follow um, both myself, um, Amy Wyatt, poet on Instagram, um, and we have a, a small, but um, I'm, I'm getting there with the presence of the Bangor Literary Journal on, on Instagram. Um, also Twitter, um, Amy Wyatt Poet or the Bangor Literary Journal. Um, and then obviously on Facebook, um, you can follow the same, the same too, Amy Louise Wyatt or the Bangor Literary Journal. Um, and we'll keep you up to date with anything that's happening in either of those worlds. 
Perfect. And then once the pamphlet is, or once the launch is done as such, uh, what is uh, um, the future got in store then? The, the, the future, I, I keep saying that um, when, when I get, get this properly launched and when I get the, the MA, it's, it's going on to October, I think, is, is my deadline for that. Then that, Colin, they're looking for 40 poems out of me for the end of that. So um, there'll probably be a new collection heading on its way somewhere or partially done. Um, 40, 40? Four 40, zero. Four zero, yeah. Okay. That'll be that'll be um, fun. So there should be a body of work, fingers crossed, in in its stages, some sort of stage, by sort of before Christmas. And also, I'm determined to do some art as well, and also, kind of maybe focus on some things for a while that maybe don't have deadlines. Maybe to play around with a few things and work on some things that have been on the back burner. Working without deadlines, that's a dangerous game. Oh, I know. I know. You see, as soon as I said it, I regretted it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got a busy enough year ahead anyway. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you very much for sharing those poems with us and indeed, of course, for the chat as well. Well, Colin, I've really enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much for having me. And um, I'm really looking forward to your book coming out as well. So that's going to be something to look forward to this year too. Well, thank you. Well, I've got my ticket for your event next week, so I'll be there front row, centre. I, I, I will see you there. I will, I will see you there. Thank you to Amy once again. I believe a limited selection of tickets for Sunday's launch are still available but get in quick if you're interested. I was delighted that Amy wanted to share a couple of poems with us, but they do say that three is the magic number, although I think I said earlier that 72 is the magic number, but it's definitely three. So I will share one of my own poems as usual to make it a hat trick of verse on this episode. This poem is from part five, the final part of my book, and that is the part where I explore the grand ideas of death and God and the meaning of everything. And the poem that I'm going to read is called When I Think Death Is Coming, but it's not as morbid as it sounds, and it goes exactly like this. When I think death is coming, I leave the front door open, not just unlocked, but wide open. And he'll say, this is why he's dead, inviting danger in a neighbourhood like this. In the hallway, he'll be expecting silence, because that's how he usually finds you but there'll be noise from behind each door and he won't know which room to enter. In the kitchen, every appliance will be on. Washing machine, dishwasher, blender, all empty but doing what they're supposed to. And he'll be agitated by the unnecessary noise. In the living room, the TV will be at full volume with pizza boxes, beer cans, newspapers scattered all around. And he'll say, this is why he's dead, polluting his body and mind for so long. In the bedroom, there'll be pillows and clothes stuffed under the duvet to resemble a body. And he'll say, this is why he's dead. Still lying in bed at this hour of the day. But when he hauls back the cover and discovers he's been tricked, he'll get mad and bash open every door and check each hiding place. When he enters the study, he'll locate on the desk a poem written about him which will only increase his fury for it will be needlessly belittling. And he'll soon realise that I'm not in the house and run out to the garden, but I won't be sitting on the patio or tending to the flowers. 
Then just as he's about to give up the search, he'll hear a clatter of noise from the shed and say, if he's not already dead in there, I'll kill the bastard. So that's what I'll be at when death comes. Don't fear the reaper. But from one end to another, this is the end of this podcast episode. In the next one, in two weeks' time, I'll be chin-magging with a singer-songwriter who has been building up a fantastic reputation on the Irish music scene. And he may even have some excellent new music to share with us. So be sure to join me again at the start of March. I'm off now to prep for next week's poetry workshop. So farewell, so long. I'll feed her saying goodbye and toodaloo.